Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Going on, hockey fans, welcome back to Casing the League on Believe Network. And as y'all all know, we peer view and review all top headlines and exciting information around the NHL. And I am so excited for one of my favorite guests, Greg Wyshynski. I have followed your work for so long, the wit, the rapport, everything that you bring to the table to deliver hockey news. How are you? And thank you so much for joining me here on Casing the League. I'm good. I'm good. It's my pleasure. I've, I've been loving the stuff that you've been doing, and I'm very happy to join the show. And uh, like we were talking about before we went on the air, uh, I just try to make it a little fun and a little less Canadian-centric. Hockey's <laughs> tough that way. Uh, yes. But uh, but yeah, I think we've succeeded in trying to decanadianize hockey as best as we can. I would say so. And you and you bring in some great analogies. And I noticed that you may or may not be a wrestling fan. You kind of entertain so many great things to to talk about hockey, which we will get into in this segment of Casing the League. But as you all know, Casing the League is brought to you by Bet Online. The last of major pro sports leagues is off and rolling and college basketball is ready to go as well. BetOnline remains your top spot for all your live betting action and contests, NFL, college football, UFC, and NHL are all in full swing. BetOnline is your number one source for wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions. All the hoops betting action, along with every sport available at your fingertips, with both on your desktop as well as mobile access at any time. Head to BetOnline today and remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, for your 50% off welcome bonus as your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's get into it. I am so excited. I feel like this is going to be a very fun episode. Of course, if everybody has been up to date on all the headlines across the NHL, one of the top things talked about is the ultimate surprise of the Oilers. And now, are they having their Here Comes the Sun moment after these last two (laughs) games? You're going to hear a lot of song puns from me. Um, What's your take on this, Greg? Were they as surprising to you as the rest of the league in the world and fans? Yeah, for sure. So they were my Stanley Cup champion pick before the season, uh, as many, many people have reminded me when they were bad in the last few weeks. But now it's all turned around. They they (laughs) made the coaching change. They're on their way. Look, Jay Woodcroft, I thought, did a pretty good job for them overall. Like if you look at their underlying numbers, the analytics about how the Oilers were playing in the first few weeks of the season, they weren't playing that poorly. In fact, they were first in the league in expected goals for. It's just that the puck wasn't going in the net. And when they were making this mistakes defensively, it seemed like the puck was always going in their own net. Now, part of that is having tremendously bad goaltending in the first month of the season. Um, I, you know, you could make the argument they shouldn't have fired the coach, but then you could also make the argument that they needed a vibe change. You know, you look anyone who watched that game against San Jose knows that this team was just like not only skating with the weight of of championship expectations on their backs, but also had stopped believing in themselves. So Mm -hmm. make the change. They bring in coach Knobloch from the Hartford Wolfpack of the Rangers organization. They move Paul Coffey behind the bench. And then things get a little weird in the sense that the guy they hired as coach was Connor McDavid's junior coach and uh, is now McDavid running the team. And it got a little weird because Coffey was the owner's like conciliary, basically. So now all of a sudden you've got this like narc on the bench along with the handpicked coach from your your star player 
Um, but the crazy thing is it, it might work, you know, if it works, who cares how it happens, who cares how they get there. And I think the Oilers to their credit made the change maybe a little bit earlier than other teams would have, but in mm -hmm. this process gave themselves a lot more, um, you know, runway to get back into this playoff race. Yeah. And you mentioned something that kind of stood out to me the most there, the fact that this might be becoming or encompassed as Conor McGregor, oh, Conor McGregor, Conor McDavid's <laughs> team, the Conor McGregor of NHL. Um, with that said, you know, he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders, of course, being one of the top players in the NHL, and he wasn't having the best season that he wanted to have. Is that going to kind of change the narrative here? Because you've got vocal players on this roster like Evander Kane, and you've got Leon Dreisaitl, who's being a lot more transparent with the media and his emotions. Is that going to kind of help or hurt this team if this kind of becomes something that revolves around Connor McDavid, someone who, you know, is a little bit more on the on the quiet side of things? You know, he's still kind of sticking to the hockey jargon whenever he's asked about things. I think the most surprising response from him was saying that the coach didn't lose the room. So standing up for a coach in, in such a moment for the Oilers, where do you think this team is heading if it becomes McDavid's sole team? Yeah, Drysaddle's gone straight emo. Like he, <laughs> you expect there to be just a My Chemical Romance poster in back of him at all times. Like he puts his hood up. I love it. I was a My Chemical Romance. You know? Um, but but and for and for good reason. I mean, that's this guy. I talked to both him and McDavid during the Players Tour in Vegas, and it's so clear that they are so tired of losing that they believe that you know it is their time to ascend to win it at least play for a championship in this league. And so when it doesn't happen, when they struggle off the hop, you can understand why they're, they're both a little sullen. McDavid's an interesting case. Cause I mean, if you remember, he was out of the lineup with an injury for a little bit and then kind of miraculously came back to rejoin the team for the heritage classic, the outdoor game that they played in Alberta. And we were a little surprised. We're like, Oh, we thought he was going to definitely miss it because he was supposed to be out for a few weeks, comes back and plays. Um, so there's been sort of this like, Back of the mind, is he 100% type thing with McDavid? But he certainly has made an impact since the coaching change. Um, I do find that that whole thing so interesting, though, as far as McDavid and, and his junior coach becoming the Oilers coach, because he said that he didn't know it was going to happen. He found out the same way we all did with like a text message on a weekend morning. And if I'm him, like I'm super pissed because my former agent is the head of the organization now in Edmonton, Jeff Jackson. And yep. so it's it's either one of two things. Either you were consulted on who the, no, the new coach is going to be, or your agent went and hired somebody that everybody is going to think you hired. Yes. <laughs> so like, it's the inevitable that you're going to get knowing. questions. Yeah, it's inevitable you're going to get questions about, like, are you really the GM of the team? So if Connor wasn't given the heads up on that, that's maybe even a bigger problem than if he hired the coach himself. Absolutely. And that's what I mean by, like, if it's going to change the tone of this team. There's just too many question marks revolving around stuff like this because I know for the lightning I feel like certain guys or you know our franchise figureheads have at least been in the know you know what I mean like I don't think there's anything that happened on the team that Steven Samkos was unaware of or when we had Alex Florin Alex Florin didn't know of so it's going to be a kind of sticky predicament for uh Connor McDavid there and, and what's to come do you think that this turnaround point is legit maybe whether or not it has anything to do with coaching do you think that this was kind of the refresh button that this team needed because Stuart Skinner wasn't panning out. You got Campbell. You got all these things that they that they made movements for that just aren't sticking. It's not the perfect plug here. Yeah. I mean, for my own selfish punditry reasons, I hope that it does turn around and that they do challenge for a cup. I think I'd look a lot better than I do now with that prediction. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I honestly, like I said before, think that they haven't been playing terribly poorly. 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and now that they're getting some results, now the puck's going in a little bit more, now that they're getting better goaltending from, from Skinner in particular, like the Jack Campbell situation is a disaster. They, they, you know, put yeah. him through waivers, put him in the American hockey league. He hasn't played well there at all so far. So they're probably going to have to figure out something, uh, to pair with Skinner going forward to try to stabilize the goaltending. Cause Campbell does, that doesn't seem like he's going to be the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they're getting their confidence back. They're getting a little bit of their swagger back. The big change for them, though, is that if you look at the standings, like it'd be a legit surprise if they were top three in the Pacific. Like at this point, because of the stumble out of the gate, it's probably a wild card situation for the Oilers. And that's not to say that they can't win out of the wild card. I mean, the L.A. Kings won a cup being basically the eighth seed in the Western Conference one year. But, you know, the idea that they were going to win the Pacific based on the starts that the Golden Knights and Canucks have had, I don't yeah. think the math is there for them right now, but I do think that they are still uh, on track to be a playoff team, especially given the state of the rest of the conference and if they can continue this push forward with the new coach. Love that. Now, are you a Nickelback fan? Because we know Connor McDavid is. I don't know why everyone acted surprised. He he gives me Nickelback vibes for sure, but are, are you on board with that? No, I hate Nickelback. No. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's so it's wrong the, to ask you for it, a Nickelback song that encompasses this team's season. It is a uh, it is an instant skip for me. Um, <laughs> it, it 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 made me hurt. I mean, like you said, it's logical because you you know Connor is like at inherently a you know jean jacket wearing Canadian on the weekends. Yeah. Probably, but like, <laughs> man, that guy's so good to finally find a flaw in his game. Being a Nickelback devotee was really oh, tough thanks. for me. Yeah, um, I think a little wallet chain and everything on McDavid. Yeah, I guess I guess it's it doesn't count. Does that Spider Man song count? Is that actually a Nickelback song or is that just a Chad Kroger song? I don't know. But a hero can save us would be kind of the vibe for me right now. And thinking about the Edmonton Oilers, they needed somebody to come in and save them. Maybe it'll be a new coach. Maybe it'll be the reinvigoration of Connor's game. Again, that's the thing I love about this team is like I was talking to somebody at a, a, a practice and a Red Wings practice recently, like a real NHL insider type. And, and he was saying to me, like, you know, out of all the teams that are outside the playoffs right now, the Oilers are the one you know could put together like three great weeks of hockey and get right back into it. Like they won 16 out of 19 games to end the season last year and and they're going to need Connor to do it. So mm-hmm. he will be the hero that saves them at the end of the day, much like Spider-Man swung in and <laughs> Mary Jane against the Green Goblin and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Many he years. could totally be the Spider-Man. I see that and and I stand for that as well. I thought a photograph by Nickelback. I wasn't a big Nickelback fan, but I wondered if he was thinking, you know, is it too late to switch teams? Is it too late to change my commitment to staying in an oiler sweater? <laughs> we won't we won't we won't harp on that too much because <laughs> are not Nickelback fans. Now, kind of talking, you touched on it, you mentioned the Canucks. Heading into this season, it was like Canada finally has a chance to hoist the cup. Canada is going to be in this between the Maple Leafs, between the oil. Um, and then Oilers are doing what they're doing. Maple Leafs are a whole different conversation we'll get to. Um, but the Canucks, are they going to be the team to pave the way for Canada after what they're doing? Are they finally getting recognition that they deserve? Where do they stand in your book? They, they're they great. And so I kind of knew they'd be a playoff team. Like I picked them to make the playoffs because um, I figured if you give their coach Rick Tockett a training camp, he had half a season last year to really sort of put a stamp on this team to understand what he's working with. Um, he was going to get something out of them. He's a good player as coach. And already as the season started, we saw him like call his team soft three games into the season and, and start benching guys to get better efforts. And, you know, I, I think he has certainly put his stamp on the roster 
and they've responded to him. So that was a really good hire. The, the other thing I love about the Canucks is this core of players that, you know, have really popped off early in the season. I mean, like Quinn Hughes, better than a point per game, has basically owned the inside rail to win the Norris Trophy based on the NHL Awards watch we did on ESPN recently. He's got the lead pretty significantly over everybody else. Uh, Elias Pettersson's been incredible, like well over a point per, ga- per game player inserting himself into the MVP conversation. JT Miller's been great. Besser's been great. Like they've got that core of really good players. And then on top of that, you know, Thatcher Demko is playing like Thatcher Demko again in goal. So it's all kind of coming together. You know, Tockett's, you know, instilled a system that's allowing them to play much better defensively. They made some good changes to their blue line in the off season to get better in the back. And then their star players are, are playing like star players. It's all clicking right now for them in a really impressive way. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've been trying to figure this out, and I've asked a number of people, what what, what went into the breeding of the Hughes brothers? Like, <laughs> how, do you, how do you get three guys that just get into the league and, and make some noise? You know, Jack Hughes is Jack Hughes. You got Luke who came in and made an impact immediately, even with limited time. And then Quinn Hughes, like, if you're not talking about him, then you're, you're, you're drinking Haterade for sure, because – he is a part of every top conversation week in and week out. I think he's already been an NHL star twice this season, um, or at least should have been. What do you feed brothers like that? Like, how do you – I'm trying to figure it out. I'm only 31 years old. I'm not married, but maybe I can create the next trio. <laughs> well, the short answer is a uh, top-secret USA Hockey genetic manipulation project that produced uh, three clones uh, that will carry USA hockey to many gold medals in the Olympics. But the long answer is I actually spoke to Jack and Quinn Hughes about this before the season and just try like, what, what is it? Like what has led to this Hughes brothers takeover of the NHL? And they both said the same thing, which is that, you know, obviously the inherent talent in this family of hockey talent and athletic talent, but also like the three of them grew up, in a environment where every single thing was competitive, you know, epic basketball games in their driveway, epic ping pong matches, you know, every single thing that they did was in competition with each other. They drove each other to be better. It wasn't like, um, you know, antagonistic or anything like that. It was at the end of the day, supportive. So it's like a positive environment, but also like the super most competitive environment for three athletes that are all within a reasonable age range of each other too, which I think plays into it. And that's one of the reasons why they came into the league and have just torn it up being so young is that every single thing they did was just like a massive competition they had to excel in. Yeah. And I love that you pointed that out because I did see that you got a chance to talk with the Hughes brothers. So what I love too, is that sometimes, you know, families nowadays, you get into this kind of grooming system. You want your kids to be athletes and all-stars. But I think what I love about this family is that the love of hockey is very apparent. Jack Hughes, you could just see, his passion out there, like all of them, honestly, they're having a great time. And I think that's what translates the best, but um, kind of talking about translating the best, having a good time. I don't think Patrick Kane's having a good time. (laughs) And I don't think these conversations are doing him much justice. I really died inside when I heard that the Maple Leafs were a a, a top contender for this conversation because it didn't math to me. Greg, you, you look like a guy, you seem like a guy that likes things to add up. (laughs) <laughs> what are you hearing about this Patrick King conversation? Please tell me you support me in the sense of he should never go to the Maple Leafs. No. That should just be something tossed out the window. Um, where's your head at with Patrick King? Probably a most suitable fit for him system-wise. 
Yeah, on our on our podcast, the drop this week, we did like a little Patrick Kane destination ranking, and Arda Ocal and I agreed that the most horrible, potentially uh, humiliating location would be Toronto. I mean, first of all, he's probably not going to play in the top six there. Like, they're going to see him as a supporting character who's going to play on the power play based on their lineup right now. Second of all, like they don't need Patrick Kane necessarily. They, if, if, if they could, they probably need Duncan Keith more than they need Patrick Kane on that team. <laughs> if we're being honest. Uh, so I don't want him in Toronto either. I also don't want the scrutiny of like, if things don't go well for them, the Toronto media cutting up Patrick Kane, he doesn't need that in this stage in his career. He's a legend. So when I, when I, when I look at the field and it, I reported this week, it is about eight teams that he and his agent Aprasan are, are vetting right now. Um, there are some interesting destinations. I think it'd be kind of hilarious to see him in Detroit. Uh, I mean, it's a good spot for him, maybe a reunion with Alex the Brinkett, for example, but for a Chicago fan to see Patrick Kane become a Red Wing would be pretty painful, I think, <laughs> and, and, and an interesting story. Yeah, for obvious reasons. But the one place I keep coming back to that I think would be a really interesting landing spot for him is Florida. Um, their GM, Bill Zito, has made no secret the fact that they made overtures to Kane in the summer, even before, like as he's recovering from surgery, to say, hey, look, we, we're really interested. We want you around. And the, the hard sell now, as we've reached the where's Patrick Kane going to sign process, is Florida's basically said, look, we're gonna we're gonna play with with Alexander Barkov. Like we're gonna put you on Barkov's wing. We think both of you play a style that's gonna mesh well with each other. And while other teams are gonna be like, hey, third line, what have you, some power play time, what have you, you're a first line player for us. And so we'll see how he feels about that. Obviously, going to Florida, it's a pretty good landing spot for him. The travel is gonna be manageable. Um, so we'll see where where his heart lies. But the two things I know about Kane are one. He definitely wants to play for a contender. He definitely wants to, you know, try to get his name on that cup again. And that, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether the initial plan for him, which was just to play out the rest of this season and then revisit free agency, is still the plan if you maybe have teams stepping up with multi-year contracts. I wonder if his thinking has changed on that. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned, if Florida becomes more of a serious conversation there, they had a great run um, for Stanley Cup, obviously making it to the Stanley Cup Finals. They've got some pieces in play, but they still kind of need to add to it. If he's not coming in looking to be the hero, I think that that's going to change his confidence and maybe even his play because I feel like the pressure and the conversation when he went to the New York Rangers, I feel like that kind of deflated him a little bit. Like, Do you feel like that kind of either hindered him or maybe psychologically messed with where he's at in his career a little bit? It did, but and that was also part and parcel of the, of having that injury too. I don't think he really believed he was himself when he got to New York, and and couldn't necessarily be the Showtime Patrick Kane like like we've talked about. Um, you know, th the media environment I think is an interesting an interesting conversation to have about him. I mean, he went from Chicago, which definitely has a lot of media covering the Blackhawks, especially during their glory years. New York obviously is is a really media intense place too. Toronto maybe the most of those three when it comes to media scrutiny. But you know as well as I do what the Floridian uh, hockey media market can look like. Uh, and, and the Panthers are probably like one third the coverage of what the Lightning get, right? So yeah. it's it's it would be a place where he can kind of be a little bit more in amenity. And, and like you said, I mean, although he'd be a top line player, that is the team of, of Matt Kachuk. That is a team of Sasha Barkov. Um, that is not going to be the team of Patrick Kane as yeah. the face of the franchise, as the final piece of the puzzle. Uh, it's going to be a lot less pressure and scrutiny, I think, if he ends up there. 
Yeah, 100%. And us in Florida hockey media, we like to stay out of the national media as much as possible. <laughs> we like to maintain our narratives down here. That is for sure. But um, perfect segue there, actually, because you mentioned Florida. You mentioned uh, hockey down here. My team is um, – I don't know what's going on with my team. And I was listening to an interview on Empty Netters where they were chatting with Chris Chelios about the top defensemen in the league. And I noticed that while he was breaking down who he thought were the top defensemen, it didn't really add up to what most fans would say. And then his his critique as to why certain guys were not up there in his top five was he didn't really love the offensive defensemen and how much recognition and how much they're transforming and commanding the NHL right now. Now, I know you track football a little bit. Back in 2015, tight ends just completely changed. They weren't hand-in-the-dirt kind of guys. They went from being 6'5", 260 to 6'3", 225. They were hybrids, which I hated. Um, but I had to get on board with it. So are we seeing a transformation in the defenseman position in the NHL these days? Are the stay-at-home defensemen kind of fizzling out here? Yeah, and and I think that's by virtue of the game having changed in the last was it been eighteen years since the canceled season when they tweaked the rules. I mean, it's funny we were mentioned we were talking about Jack Hughes before. I mean, when you think about why Jack Hughes is thriving in this league, I mean, the guy's built like Timothy Chalamet. If he was in this league ten years ago, he's probably not doing the things he's doing now. It's become a, a league for smaller guys, for faster guys. There's speed throughout the lineup. You don't see fourth lines built the same way they used to be where there was an enforcer there who can't skate playing eight minutes a night. Like, it's a different league. So, to Chelios's point, yeah, I mean, I think we all lament the fact that this isn't a league where you see guys that are the big stay-at-home defense and that throw big hits and everything, uh, and that it is more of a league of the Quinn Hughes and Cal McCars, but that's because that's where the league went. And my counter-argument to the defensive defenseman thing is always going to be that um, – you know, the best offense can be the best defense can be a great offense, right? I mean, we've been talking about this in the analytics era, going back to Mike Green of the Washington Capitals of, yeah, he might not be the best guy in his own zone, but staying out of your own zone means that you don't have to be the best guy in your own zone. And when you watch McCarr play, when you watch even Eric Carlson during the glory years of his of his prime, when you watch Quinn Hughes, it's not to say these guys can't defend in the case of McCarr and Hughes, but it's to say that just because they're an offensive defenseman, just because they put up points doesn't necessarily mean they aren't doing their 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 team right by defense because if the puck ain't in there in your zone, the other team can't score on you and these guys help keep it out of the zone. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you mentioned that because I mean, to further that defense, I'm thinking to myself, if you've got offensive defensemen that can help push the puck forward, but they have the ability, or in our case, we have a Victor Hedman. He can track back in an instant. He uses yeah. his, his legs, his ability. Maybe not every offensive defenseman out there is as quick, but if they start putting that 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 rapport into their game, then being an offensive defenseman is not a negative thing. They're no. such a thinker on the blue line, and they're keeping things pushing forward, which is what you want as you just said now right i want to say real quick on headman like the thing that made headman special the thing that's going to make him a hall of famer in my estimation is just like that ability to get up the ice and and make the first pass but you know in in chelios's defense like what what headman bought to those championship teams was also a guy that could just like stand in front of the crease and clear it out for vasileski and and be physical and you know, I, I guess the the perfect defenseman, if you would, if you could design them, would be someone with Makara's speed and skill and stick handling and like Hedman's size, which oh is not going to come around very often. <laughs> but there is a place for when the going gets tough, having that physical defenseman like a Hedman back there 
that can that can do the dirty work necessary. Um, and and I guess in Telios's defense, it's probably that's probably what he's getting at. Yeah, and I can totally understand where he's coming from too, because as I mentioned, I wasn't even a fan of the, the hybrid tight ends, and I hope that that phase is going to fizzle out as well. <laughs> um, but kind of sticking to the Victor Hedman conversation, I know that as somebody who covers Tampa Bay Lightning specifically, some specific fans for casing the league, they want to know what what's going on with the Lightning. Is it the team that broke the minute that they didn't salvage Ryan McDonough? Is it the team that doesn't have enough stay-at-home defensemen? Eric Turnack's really their only main stay-at-home defenseman. Dehan's kind of there, but in my personal opinion, he's played a little far up the last three, four games and kind of getting caught on those odd man rushes. You know, do you have a particular evaluation of where the Lightning are and if fans need to just settle down or panic? <laughs> uh, I mean, panic. I mean, I can't imagine anybody who's had to watch the chance to watch that much success on the ice is going to panic. I mean, and, yeah, I, I think there needs to be a little bit of afterglow that's probably still inherent in that organization. But, you know, I picked them to miss the playoffs. Um, and I picked them to miss the playoffs because I, I, like you mentioned, McDonough, the, the atrophy in their supporting cast over the years to me is going to catch up with them eventually. It always does with these teams that are top heavy as far as having a few stars that are really well paid. But then you look at, you know, look at their roster the last time they made the cup final versus now, and even the last time they won the cup versus now, and you just see so many players that have, uh, that have left the fold and so many great supporting players from that cast that have left the fold. And I don't think they've sufficiently replaced them. Um, the thing for me that I found really interesting was the Stamkos contract stuff before the season. And uh, not only in the sense of like, are they actually considering Steven Stamkos maybe not retiring in a lightning uniform, which is hard to believe, but more to the point of, we have to be careful with how much money we give our aging stars because we have so much other work to do underneath them, which is like I, what I gathered Julian Breesbaugh was saying when he was talking about Stamkos' contract negotiation. So the minute he said that was the minute I said to myself, okay, maybe they even view this team as being a little bit worse than the teams that have been challenging in the last few seasons. So maybe a, a step back, take a leap forward for them. Um, but I have been really impressed with them not completely falling apart when Vasilevsky was out of the lineup. Although a lot of that was just like, let's just try to score eight goals a night. Right. <laughs> it's not, not sustainable, but when he comes back, maybe they're they've, they've maintained enough where they can kind of hang around the playoff picture a little bit more than I thought they could. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they're kind of reevaluating that initial method when uh, Vasilevsky <laughs> went down and luckily Johansson has made that argument a little better to kind of um, swallow there. But you mentioned something interesting. I'm glad you brought up the contract thing because I had a little bit of a theory. You're the Go. captain of this team. You're the franchise face. You already lost a franchise player in Alex Kalorn. But these conversations, they don't start the minute that your contract's getting ready to be up. These are conversations that kind of start looing years ahead. Um, do you think it was kind of an ego blow to see a guy like Nick Paul get an eight-year contract with the Lightning when, yeah, he may have had a great end of the season, but he was still so new to this system. He wasn't really a highly regarded player before that with the Senators and everywhere else. He was just still kind of getting his game underneath him. You have so many guys locked into eight years. Did the Lightning kind of make a mistake in instead of evaluating these players as maybe a four-year contract, jump into that eight-year lock-in? Yeah, there's a weird trend around the league of trying to lock in sort of supporting cast members in long-term deals, I guess just so if they pop off, they don't necessarily get paid more. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not a big fan of it. I, I think like like you, that you lock in your your top end players and your star players to long term deals, but not necessarily do the same for 
supporting cast members or especially for goalies. I think it's insane to give a goalie an eight year contract. Um, so, you know, from an, if you're looking at it from an ego point of view for Stamkos, um, listen, it's, I think it's human nature to be like, you're taking care of him before you take care of me kind of thing. <laughs> um, but I think more to the point with him, it's, it's like, uh, this should be easy. You know, yeah. I, he, he left money on the table years ago to come back to the lightning during his first chance at being an unrestricted free agent. He's given everything in his life and his career to this franchise. And, and again, like you talk about players that you have a hard time envisioning wearing another uniform. I mean, it's Stamkos is, is definitely at the top of that list. But that being said, we just talked about Patrick Kane. And I think there was probably a time a few years ago where it was very hard to imagine Patrick Kane not retiring as a Chicago Blackhawk. And now we're talking him, uh, talking about him maybe being a Maple Leaf. <laughs> so so anything can happen. <laughs> yeah, anything. Can, we hope not. Anything can happen uh, in a salary cap league. And, and I think that the Lightning are just keeping their options open. I still would be surprised if they don't work something out with Steven. I think this is just one of those deals where they're like, tipping their hand to say, hey, look, it's not going to be for the money you can get elsewhere because you've got other things to take care of and you can either take it or leave it. Yeah, absolutely. And ego aside, I think that his desire to stay in one sweater will kind of top all of that when this is all said and done. But um, some guys who their egos deserve to be blown up just a little bit. I love <laughs> talking about some either underdog or underrated players. Underrated people are always my favorite to highlight. Um, I have maybe four or five guys on my list this season that I just want to scream from the mountaintop. Let's talk more about them. Sure. Do you have about three or four players that the league needs to be paying more attention to that should be commanding a lot more attention that's doing the dirty work and the details in between? Underrated is so tough because I feel like as a member of the media, we can manipulate things to make people seem more underrated than they are by not talking about them. <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I don't, I, I, I couldn't tell you at this point, like who the underrated players are this year. I know that like one guy that we probably don't talk enough about um, is Sam Reinhardt of the Florida Panthers. Like he's sort yeah. of in that tier below your star players of of Barkov and Kachuk but like all he does is score goals and and it, it, he's actually an interesting guy because so the, the NHL released this big new stat site this NHL edge site nice. where you could go and find out these little trivial things about like how fast the skaters are and how far they travel and all this other stuff where they um <laughs> Reinhardt is an interesting one because his speed is actually below average, like is in the lower 50% of the league. Oh, wow. um, and I've heard from guys over the years that it, you know, that, that like skate with them in the summer, like you skate with them in the summer and you come away being like, how is this guy so good? Um, but lo and behold, I mean, you know, the guy's got like 13 goals in his first 16 games. Um, and, you know, he doesn't have a skill set that blows you away except when he's shooting the puck. And so, right. He's one of those guys that I think certainly does fit the bill as, as being an underappreciated player. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned him because he stood out to me during playoffs a little bit more because I'm like, is nobody paying attention to the fact that he's, <laughs> yeah, right? you know, he's kind of getting this thing going when we're not talking about Matthew Kachuk and all his success. It, it, it's really Reinhardt and uh, until Lundell was another one that I loved a lot. Yeah. Of yeah. Um, but you kind of hit close to one of the guys that stand out to me. It's uh, Vegas Golden Knights, Brett Howden. Love. Yeah. Him. I love him. He had some great shifts during playoffs. Um, I love the fact that nobody talks about how much he actually hits. He's he's a lot more physical than than noticed, and he might not have the most 
uh, shots on goal, but the shots on goal that he puts up about 90% of them are high danger shots. So he's very meticulous in getting in those difficult opportunities. Uh, Shane Gostabier with the Red Wings. I thought that this was a chef's kiss move. I feel <laughs> like his game is just coming back to something that we saw him do with the Flyers years ago. He can be a double digit defenseman. And I think he's in the right system to do that. Lucas Redmond, Raymond underneath that same umbrella. Um, yes, Barry caught Kenny Emmy. Are we talking enough about him? <laughs> Probably not, because I think most of the time when we talk about him, it's scrutiny for uh, for all the things he, he hasn't been doing. He's been, <laughs> he's been sneaky good. The Casas Bear one is really interesting for me because I, I, I remember speaking to him uh, at the fabled Mullet Arena in Arizona last year, early in the season. And we had a really good conversation about just kind of like the idea that at one point in your career, you're like, I mean, at one point in his career, he was kind of positioned in that McCarr, Quinn Hughes yes. area as being like the next great offensive defenseman based on how he was playing with the Flyers. And then things kind of fell apart. He goes to the Coyotes, kind of falls off the radar of everybody. And, you know, last year was the first year I think that we started talking about him a bit more because he was playing really well in a contract year, gets moved to the deadline. And then, you know, signs with Detroit to kind of be a, a primary puck moving defenseman for them. And, and he, it was a great fit for him, a great fit for them. And I'm happy he's thriving because I know it's an interesting kind of like psychology when you are like touted to be something that then you don't actually actualize as that. And so I think he's got a lot more to offer. And it was it's really good to see him get off to a good start. Yeah, that's probably one of my favorite things about hockey. We talk about guys in football needing to be a part of the right system so that they can thrive, but I feel like that's kind of uh, intensified when it comes to hockey. You've got guys yeah. whose name just skyrocket when they've got the right line mates and so on and so forth. So I'm extremely happy for him and would love the conversation to kind of illuminate around him a bit more. But before I let you go, let's get into this too early or too early or too early to tell or telling. Now, I like to pull fans' comments because, well, in the height of the emotions of bad games, great games, we just like to go all in. And so let's get right to it. The first fan comment that I found and giggled at was the Islanders are becoming the Sharks. Your thoughts? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're not becoming the Sharks in the sense that, like, They've got some players they can at least build around going forward, like, you know, uh, Barzell and, and Horvat. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think the, the weird thing about that route. So here's the thing. COVID was a weird time for all of us. Right. And it was especially a weird time in hockey. There were some decisions and some 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 things that were like cemented in the eyes of people that maybe shouldn't have been cemented because it was such an anomalous time. The Vancouver Canucks now are just recovering from their management having thought that they were better than they were because they thrived in the COVID tournament. In the Islanders case, they like made the conference final a couple times, right? During the COVID times. And then all of a sudden, I guess maybe Lou Lamarillo, their GM is like, this is the roster we need. And so it's kind of been the same team for the last few years. Uh, and, and it's been the law of diminishing returns. So I don't think they're quite the sharks, but they certainly are a team that has to take a good hard look at the roster and say to themselves, was it really smart to keep the same group together for the last four or five years? Because, I mean, the the, the heights that they hit were in kind of weird, um, anomalous seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And I think bouncing off of that, they thought Barzell was the ultimate answer for everything and that he was just going to be the guy. But I love that explanation and that insight, of course. Uh, the next fan comment, Ducks are going to the playoffs, baby. Oh boy. Well, they've, they've certainly shown something early. Um, I don't 
I, I think there's probably a better chance that they're going to end up being one of these teams, these young teams that shoots out of the gate, um, plays extraordinarily well, and then there's a bit of a fall off. But there's always the possibility that they're just get, they're just like hitting their stride earlier than we thought they would. I mean, Leo Carlson's going to be a star. Mason McTavish maybe already is a star. They haven't gotten a good performance from Zegris yet. He's a little bit banged up. Um, the pieces are there for them to really build something sustaining in that Pacific division. I don't quite think it'll end up being the season, but um, just to get a little bit of that excitement, a little bit of that vibe, a little bit of that, the future is bright feeling from this franchise that has been so bad for so long, I think has been really refreshing. Yeah. And plus, you know, West coast is a very hard division right now. So maybe just the compete over there would be kind of the thing to help them fizzle out at the moment. Um, this one is fantastic. I never want to see the Canes and Whalers jerseys again. Why was this so detrimental? <laughs> I mean, they used to be the Whalers. I mean, they, it's part of their heritage. Um, I get it though. I mean, like Hartford's heart is still shattered in a million pieces with, with Carol, with the Whalers moving to Raleigh back in the mid nineties. It's funny, you know, working at ESPN, um, going to Bristol, you still see whaler stuff on people's desks in the newsroom. Like there's still wow. a legacy and a lineage of that team. And you know, the, the knock on the hurricanes obviously is that the whalers thing is seen as kind of a cash grab. It's seen, uh, you know, they're selling whaler stuff. They don't, they've never like played up there. You know, there's not, there's, they certain, they go a certain distance with the whalers nostalgia and then they stop. And then there's a feeling of, well, you're just doing this to make money off the logo and the legacy of that team. So I get the angst, I get the feeling on it, but at the same time, I mean, as a guy, as 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 a resident Gen Xer in the hockey world, like it's still pretty cool to see the Whaler stuff on the ice again. I ain't gonna lie to you. Yeah, I mean, it's a sick jersey, but I I didn't I couldn't fully grasp the the upset and the uproar. Uh, Empty Netters was like, never let me see this again. Blue guy, just the list goes on and on. So I found it interesting. Um, the Thompson Sabers are and were overrated. Oh, they're definitely overrated. Like the, the three teams that we had in the Atlantic division um, that all had a chance to make the jump up this year were the, the Sabres, the Senators, and the Red Wings. Mm -hmm. I picked the Senators to break out of that pack. I may not be right on that one. Uh, <laughs> the Red Wings obviously have shown that they were the team that was ready to come out, get jump out of that pack. The problem with the Sabres is that they're just not good enough defensively yet to be a contender in that division. And it compounded the the fact that they, you know, aren't good defensively, but then are going to try to have these young goalies, including Devin Levi, come mm -hmm. up and try to find their footing behind what's not a playoff quality defense in front of them. It's just a recipe for disaster. So they've got to get these fundamentals locked in before they can really start climbing the standings and challenging for a playoff spot. But again, you know, I think we all want to see it. It's been over a decade now without them in the playoffs. And without question, you think about how, the Blackhawks, the Bruins, like all these teams that have this these strong local supports that when they um, became contenders again, became just sensations. Like there's no question that the Sabres are the next team in that in that line where if they do become a playoff contender, if they do start challenging for a Stanley Cup, we're going to see excitement on a local level that's going to like bleed over to every market in the country just by how much enthusiasm is waiting to pop for this team if they ever get, get their act together. Yeah, they're the shaking soda can for sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the best way to put it. Um, the Leafs broke Bertuzzi. 
I don't know what the hell happened to that guy. Like I thought, I thought it was a brilliant move on his part to take a one-year deal, go up there first, right? I yeah, and play with Matthews and juice your points and come back to the UFA market and you're probably like a ninety-point player. Like I, I thought it was a perfect fit, and I also thought it was a perfect fit for the Leafs because they could use some people that have a little bit more of that tenacity, um, that play with hustle. That as somebody put it to me earlier this season, like. It's a Tuesday night in January. The star players don't care. And it's guys like Bertuzzi and Domi that play hard and kind of spark the team. So I don't know what the hell's happened up there with him because it has not worked out at all for either party. And it's kind of a bummer because I really thought that if we if we saw, as you mentioned before, the Leafs is one of those Canadian teams that could jump up and maybe win a cup. Like Bertuzzi, I thought was going to play a, a central role in that uh, ascendance. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought that his his role was going to expand gearing towards playoffs. So I'm not entirely counting it out yet. But he yeah, it seems pretty much like a broken fit at the moment. Um, Jordan Bennington is contending for the best goalie in the league, hands down. Oh, this is a really <laughs> tough one for me to answer. Uh, Bennington's been somebody I've slagged on pretty good for the last couple of years as being someone that the Blues fans swear up and down based on the eye test is really, really good. But the underlying numbers tell you that he's not. But yep. he's putting it together. He's I, 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 Even as a Bennington hater, I've got to say that he's put it together early in the season. He's playing extraordinarily well. Every number, whether it's the traditional stats or the fancy stats, tell you that he's playing well. And he certainly made the Blues more relevant than um, than anyone have thought they could be early in the season. So uh, I got to give him his flowers. You know, at this point in the season, I thought he'd have more fighting majors and wins. Yep. Uh, but it turns out he's still got a little bit of magic left in him. And uh, and he's played well for them. I got to give him credit. Yeah, I thought that the Blues fans were just kind of airing him up a bit, too. But I also realized maybe his attitude was the bigger hindrance there versus his actual skill set. So we will see how that continues to unroll. Two more here before I let you go. Uh, Rangers are fixed. It's all said and done. We're going to the cup. That's that. I mean, they're really good. Like, I, I again, like I was really surprised when they hired Laviolette just because he seemed like a bit of a retread, but, but he's, he's, he's gone in there and he's, he's made them play a little bit better than, than I expected him to be and mm-hmm. doing so without needing Igor Chashurkin to carry the day, you know, they've played yeah. better than their goalie, which has not been the case for the Rangers in, in recent times. But um, to me, the story right now is, is Artemi Panarin. Like he is playing yes. at an MVP pace. He's, he's doing everything that's asked of him. Um, and carrying the team while the goaltending's been okay and without Adam Fox in the lineup. So the Rangers, uh, never for a moment that I think they would be a playoff team, but the idea of them being a potential cup contender, I think is something we're going to have to really drill down on because they've played that well uh, at times during the first month of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Panarin definitely deserves praise. Chris Kreider has always been such a staple. And then on special teams, he's just, you can't look away when Kreider gets an opportunity on special <laughs> teams. Um, the last thing here, Red Wings are going to the Cup. Larkin and Debrinkit are the best dynamic duo in the league. Well, I mean, as far as line mates go, maybe because you don't often get Mc- McKinnon and, and Rantanen necessarily together. You don't often get... McDavid and Dry settle together, um, but they're not going to go to the Cup quite yet. Look, the good the good thing about the Red Wings this season is that there's a little bit of proof of concept for the Iser plan. You know, you have uh, it was smart to get to Brinkett pairing with Larkin. Now Larkin is playing the best hockey that he's played in a very very long time. Yeah. Um, you know, the supporting cast that 
at times seemed a little redundant. Like, you know, they're all a bunch of JT Comfers at the end of the day, has been playing pretty well. Uh, their goaltending, eh, it's been all right. I mean, I think they definitely want more out of Huso. But um, the cool thing about them is that they still have other players coming through the system. I don't think that their solution and goal is there yet. I, you know, they have defensemen. They're still coming through the system as well and forwards. So the future remains bright. The present is solid. And the best thing about them this year is I think they might have found a coach. I really like Derek Lalonde. He's, yeah. uh, I talked to him and his players earlier this year when they came through New York. And they all said the same thing about the guy, which is that his demeanor is the kind of demeanor that you need in this day and age for this type of player. Like he's not throwing chairs in the locker room. You know, he's a guy that, that, that knows how to motivate players correctly. And his, his calmness behind the bench allows them to, to play well and not panic to which I said, you guys are winning now. Maybe he's a psychopath when things are going poorly, <laughs> but they're like, no, 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 he's a good dude. He's going to be fine. He's the guy we need. So I, I think there's a lot of reasons besides the uh, the early great start uh, for Red Wings fans to be super optimistic about this team. But I think the cup this year is a little bit early. Yeah, and I thought Newsy was going to play a huge role in this because when he initially got with the Red Wings last year after leaving us in Tampa Bay, you already kind of saw some of those sparks. He's very intelligent. His hockey IQ is there, but the delivery is something that players really love and respond to. So we'll see if any chairs go flying as things uh, get going over there in Detroit. Your Stanley Cup prediction as of today. Two teams that you think are going to be in it. Steve Oilers. And, mm -hmm. and and listen, I, I say that as someone who is refusing to budge off of it, but I'm also saying that because, you know, I think that the, the, team I've been, the team I've been thinking about the most is the the first Penguins team that won the cup in, in with Sid that, uh -huh. you know, made the coaching change to Dan Balsma during the season. Like, and everybody at the time is like, why, why would Dan Balsma fix this team? Um, so like it, it happens where sometimes you just need a change in voice or a change in tactics, you know? Uh, Knobloch has been somebody who's known to make their like special teams better with the teams he's been with. That certainly has been an Achilles heel for the Oilers. So I'll stick with the Oilers. Uh, you got to get in it to win it. So I, I, they got to make the playoffs first. But once they get there, I'm, I, I think I'll still stick on them. And then on the other side, I picked the Leafs because I think that would be the greatest final ever. I mean, imagine being someone in Calgary that has to choose between cheering for the Toronto Maple Leafs no. We're cheering for the Edmonton Oilers to win the cup. My God, Me. I can't even imagine the psychological torture for someone pain. in Canada. <laughs> yes, that is the actual definition of pain, self-inflicted. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, that would be a little a little tough for them. But it would be interesting to see how well um, or how spastic everyone go gets if, if <laughs> teams get in the mix there. I would love to see it. Greg, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me. And of course, everyone, if you're not already following Greg and his work and his great articles and his time on the drop. Also, congratulations, by the way, with your growth and expanded role with ESPN and the recognition Thanks. that your work so deserves. So go over and follow Greg. This has been Casing the League. I am your host, Casey Hudson, and you can catch brand new episodes dropping on Believe Network twice a week. Until next time, guys, enjoy the hockey madness. Enjoy the headlines and uh, stick with it.